Uh, I'm going to begin by asking you a very heavy question, and uh, I'd like you to ponder on it and then give your response to the person beside you. It'll come up on the side screens, but this is our big question uh, for this morning. What is the ultimate opportunity that human beings can have in this life? Okay? So what is the ultimate opportunity that human beings can have in this life? So turn to the person beside you and uh, give your answer, okay? It sounds like people are quiet here. All right. This is uh, going to be fun. Now we're going to ask each one of you to stand up and give us your response. No, I'm just joking. But actually, uh, many of you may have had good answers, but I think uh, that the ultimate opportunity that we have in this life is this. And it'll come up on the side screen. We get to partner with God to redeem and restore our broken world. We actually get to partner with God to redeem and restore our broken world. Now this morning, I want us to look at a famous passage of Scripture that is found in Luke uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And Jesus has this encounter with a uh, young religious expert. And he asks him a question about the law, And this is what it says. It says, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. And what you need to know is that they were always trying to trap Jesus. Every single time Jesus was around the religious leaders of his day, they would try to trap him into saying something Uh, that would be some type of religious faux pas. And so the man asked him this question. He said, Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Now there's something that's very wrong with that question. And what's wrong with it, first of all, is that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to receive eternal life. You can't work your way into receiving that. It is simply a gift that God gives to us. And the gift was given because of what Jesus did on a blood-stained cross for every single human being. And Jesus then replied to this man, and it's, you ever notice this with Jesus as you've read the Bible? That every time someone asks him a question, he doesn't give an answer he asks another question because he wants us to think. And so this is the question that he asks. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. You will really live. Now, the man wanted to justify his actions. 
Apparently, you know, when people ask questions like that, it really means that they're not doing it. (laughs) So he's not doing either one of these things, loving God or loving his neighbor. And so he asked Jesus this question, and who exactly is my neighbor? And Jesus launches into one of the most famous stories, not only in the Bible, but in the history of all literature. It's a story about a man who is walking down a road when all of a sudden two bandits kind of bum-rush him, beat him up, and leave him on the side of the road left to die. Two religious leaders, two church folks, walk up to the man. They see him and they walk away. They walk on the other side. I mean, people who have never even read the Bible before, they have heard about this story, and whenever they see someone who helps another person who has been hurt or who has been left on the side of the road, we call that person a good what? Good Samaritan. So here is this guy who is left dead on the side of the road, and along comes a despised Samaritan. Now, Culturally, that may not mean much to you, but during this time, it meant a lot. A Samaritan was not a pure Jew. In other words, they were half one kind of thing, and they were half something else. They were kind of like the dog, you know, that gets mixed up with all of these different uh, types of breeds. And that's what they were actually called. They were called a half-breed. And... Jews hated Samaritans, and Samaritans hated Jews. So, as the Samaritan is walking down this road, and he looks down, he knows by just looking at him that he's Jewish. And he realizes this, and he looks down, and he knows this is the enemy. This is the person that I am supposed to hate. It's very similar to the way that uh, many blacks and whites throughout uh, centuries of time, uh, down in the south, up in the north, everywhere, hated one another simply because they weren't of the same race. And it wasn't until Martin Luther King Jr. and some others came along, which will celebrate his birthday tomorrow, that they said we will sacrifice so that everyone gets freedom and we don't have to live in hate. So the Samaritan is down looking at this Jewish man. And the question becomes, how is he going to respond to him? Will he, just like the other two religious leaders, just walk by? Or maybe he'll like kick him first, you know, and then keep walking by. And the guy does something unthought of in that culture. He actually bends down to this man. And he begins to start binding up all of his wounds. And then he picks the man up and he places him on his donkey. And he takes him to a hotel. And he pays for that night's stay. And you go, well, that sounds great. But the next morning comes, 
And he doesn't kick him out of the room, but he goes down to the hotel manager and he says, hey, if my friend needs anything whatsoever, I want you to provide it for him. Put it on my bill, and the next time that I come back, I will pay for it in full. And then Jesus kind of concludes this whole story of the Good Samaritan by saying this. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And, of course, this religious leader, this man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You see, folks, it wasn't enough for this guy simply to say, oh, okay, thanks. I'm really glad that you shared that with me, Jesus. That was a great story. Um, You know, thanks for shedding light on that. I was a little bit confused at one time. And Jesus said, hey, this is not about the story that I just told This is about practical application. This is about this. You go and do the same. You know, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible that's kind of a companion uh, to this story is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And this is what it says. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Let's go ahead, let's read this together, all in one voice, because you're so warm in this place this morning, right? Okay, let's read this together. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. This past summer, my family took a vacation to Myrtle Beach, and we were driving back, and we had driven for just about four to five hours in a row. And my kids were in the back, and they were whining. And my kid who was sitting beside me was whining. I mean, my wife was whining. And we pull up to this rest area, and we pull over, and we get out. And I had to use the restroom, like, really, really bad. And so I leave all the whiners in the car, and I get out of the car, and I make a mad dash toward the restroom. And as I'm running up to the restroom, I notice that that there is this elderly woman holding on to this elderly man, and this elderly man is kind of staggering a little bit. And I just run on by. I get to the restroom, and all of a sudden, I just felt this prompting in my spirit, not audibly, but just kind of in my spirit that said, Chris, go back and help them. I'm like, God, do you realize how much I have to pee right now, you know? And I was like, no, 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 go back and help him. And so I go back to this elderly couple, and I say, can I help you? And this elderly woman says, well, yeah, my husband has to use the restroom, and I can't take him in there. And I looked at this little man And he was kind of shaking like this. I don't know if he had Parkinson's or he had gone through uh, some kind of uh, stroke. But he was shaking really, really badly. And I said, well, I'll do that. And so I grabbed him by the arm. I bet he weighed less than 100 pounds because I could almost feel his bones right in my hand. And so he's staggering. And 
we walk up to the restroom, and he starts heading not towards the urinal, but towards the bathroom stall. And I'm thinking, oh, great, you know? And so I, I get him there, and I get him to the stall, and he turns around, and I get ready to walk out, and I don't know what it was, but something inside of me just said, no, look, see if he's okay. And I turned around, and uh, he was a pretty affluent man just by the clothes that he wore, but he had this belt, and he just started shaking, and he, and he couldn't get his belt undone. And I had a moment. What am I going to do? And so I walked over to him and I helped him kind of undo his belt and I got his shorts down. And I noticed then that he had some uh, Depends kind of garment underneath him. And he tried to pull them down, but, but he just couldn't. And you could tell he was kind of embarrassed and he just felt kind of self-conscious. And so I just kind of helped him down and, and set him on the toilet. And then I said, if, if you need anything, just let me know. I'll stand outside the door. And so I closed the door and I sat on the other side. And then I waited and I waited and I waited. And he never said anything, but finally I just kind of opened the door a little bit. And he had got his Depends back up, but he couldn't get his shorts up. And he was just struggling so much with that belt. And so I kind of went up and I put his shorts together and put his zipper up and kind of helped him put his belt together. And then I walked him out of the stall to wash his hands, and I'm washing my hands. And he got the water turned on okay, but then when he got ready to touch the soap dispenser, he just wasn't strong enough, and you could just see the frustration. He just couldn't push it, and so I pushed them, put it on my hand, I rubbed it on his hand. And he washed his hands, and he was somehow able to kind of turn off the sink, but then when he had to pull down on the towel dispenser, he just couldn't pull down enough. And so I went over and I pulled it down. And you could just see the frustration. And I pulled off a couple sheets and I dried his hand. I grabbed him by the arm and uh, we walked out. And his little wife was out there waiting uh, for him. And uh, she just kind of looked at me and she said, Thank you so much. When we go on these trips, when it's a public place, I can't go in with him. I really, really appreciate it. And she kind of took him by the arm and they went to their car and he got into the car and she got in the driver's side and they drove off. Now, folks, the reason I share that story with you this morning is not because... I want you to see how great I was on that one moment in my life. I want to share that story with you this morning because it rocked my world. It made me 
start asking questions. Like, do I really love my neighbor? Do I just kind of pretend to love people, or do I really love them at a heart level? I mean, if it costs me something, if I have to sacrifice something, if I'm a little bit embarrassed, if I feel a little bit awkward to show love to someone else, in that moment, do I choose to love like Christ loved, or do I choose to think about my own image? Folks, there are many times in my life in which I've seen the little old man and the little old lady and I just walk right by them. I don't even think about them. I go about doing whatever it is that I think is so important and I never even recognize them. People who need encouragement, people who need help, people who simply need a word of love, and I just walk on by. But on that particular day, folks, it rocked my world so much that I had to begin to start thinking, what does it mean to love like Jesus? What does it mean when he says, love your neighbor? How are we doing at that? I mean, for most of my life, up until that point, I would say I love other people. I do. I've gone to mission trips and I've served people and I've reached out to my neighbors. But when it came to something that was embarrassing a little bit for me and was embarrassing for the other person and I had to step out like really, really big, that's when God captured me and said, that's what it means to love Chris. Will you do it every day? On that day, God tested me and asked me, Chris, do you really love all people? Are you actively seeking to care for the needs of others, even strangers? What would you do, Chris, to show my love? You see, folks, when you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you do not ascend to greatness. You descend to greatness. For some of you, that may be the most important thing you'll hear all day. But if you choose to follow Jesus Christ... You do not ascend to greatness. You descend to greatness. I don't know about you, but I want my heart to expand. I want to learn how to love more like he knows how to love. I want to expand my view on who my neighbor actually is. And I want 2013 to be a year in the life of the jar in which people in our community, when they look at the jar, they would say, those people don't just pretend to love people. They really love them. They will love people at all costs. And what's been so encouraging to me is that I've witnessed many of you And I've been encouraged by many of you who have shown love in amazing ways. Numerous ways that you've shown love to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to your family, to your friends, even to strangers. And as a church, we have seen that through our monthly kind of things like Surfest and our Muncie Mission and uh, reaching out to the poorest of the poor, 
at the Morning Star Breadbasket Outreach. Globally, we've seen this with our outreach to Mexico and to Kenya. And as we enter into 2013, I just don't want us to feel good about things. I, want, I don't think I'd be doing my job if I didn't challenge you to love in even greater ways. To be unleashed, to reach out and to love and to care for and to give compassion not only those to those who you know, but more importantly, to those who you don't know. Because when love becomes the heartbeat of a church, something really begins to happen in churches like that. Now, if you would, I'd like you to think back to the first time in your life when you experienced the amazing love of God. Think back, when you first recognized that. And when something kind of stirred in your spirit, and something stirred to a point that you were like, you know what, there are some things in my life that I want to change. Because he loves me, there are some things I want to change. I can remember when that happened to me. It was right during college time, as I had partied and done all kinds of things for about three years. And then all of a sudden, God just kind of, came and showed me love, and I said, you know what, I want to change. And it was a miracle that I changed. It really was. I know the truth of the passage of Ezekiel chapter 36, and it'll come up on the side screen. This is God talking, but let's read this together. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And friends, when I think back to my stony, selfish, stubborn guy that I was in my early 20s, that I used to be, and now I look at my life and each year my heart's just become a little bit softer and tender from that point. I know that God is doing something in my life. And the really cool thing is, He's not just doing it in my life. He's doing it in hundreds of lives in this church called the Jar. In fact, that's what His plan was, folks, all along. Let's read this next passage of Scripture together. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. And this is what it says. Let's read it together. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things He planned for us long ago. Folks, I have never been more excited about what's going on in the life of the jar than I am today. Because we really are committing to helping people to grow. And we are really committed, more than ever, to dispense large amounts of love to our broken community and our broken world. And if we got real intentional, folks, about doing some good things that God planned long ago, if we could really kind of reach out and help change some lives through God's grace... What would happen to our neighborhoods? What would happen to our schools? What would happen to this city? What would happen to the county? What would happen to our entire world if we really got intentional 
about that? What could God do through some surrendered hearts that were just full of compassion for people? You know, the jar has always been a place that says, come and see. We've always been a place that has worked really hard at telling people, hey, you know, come here and just check it out. And we've worked real hard at creating a relaxed atmosphere where people can kind of, you know, just come in, be themselves. We try to do things that are relevant and transparent so that the culture uh, doesn't feel disconnected from the church, but they actually feel connected to it. We want to be a place where all people can feel like they're connected, where they're cared for. That you can come and see that you're accepted just the way that you are. And we've been good at creating worship celebrations where people can come in and they don't feel disconnected and they don't know when to stand or when to not stand or when to do this, but they just feel, hey, you know what? This feels pretty normal to me. And then we try to help them to understand that there is one who knows them best and loves them most. We've always been a come and see church and that won't change. But 2013 What I really want to challenge us to do is not simply to say, hey, come and see, but let's actually have a vision of 2013 that says this, let's go and be. That that becomes the vision of what we want to be. We want to go and be. Go and love your neighbor. Go unleash compassion in our neighborhoods, apartment complexes, workplaces, dorm rooms. Go and be so full of joy, so full of mercy, so full of compassion that people will actually walk up to you and they'll see this and they'll say, what is going on in your life? Go and give a cup of cold water to someone. Go and take care of the least of these. You know, folks, God has never been very impressed with religious behavior. But have you ever been tempted to maybe be a little bit more religious than you actually are so that you look good in front of God or in front of other people? Sometimes we'll say, well, if I just go on Sunday, if I just sing, if I say this, if I practice this, maybe God will be impressed. You know, in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, uh, as God is reaching and working with His people called the people of Israel, they were so far from God and disconnected, but they thought if they just kept doing all the religious stuff that they could impress God. And they would try to impress Him with rituals and uh, adding different rules so that they followed the rules. And one time they got really big into this whole fasting thing where they would put on sackcloth and ashes, a real, you know kind of uh, wonderful look, fashion look, you know, sackcloth and ashes. And uh, they would get real, real hungry for one day. And they would try to impress God with how deep they were spiritually. And God comes along, and in Isaiah chapter 56, this is what he says. Is this not what I have chosen for you? In other words, he's saying, I didn't choose you just to fast from food. There's so much more from, to fasting than just the absence of food. He said, real fasting is to loose the chains of the injustice, 
Set the oppressed free. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When, you're naked, when you see them naked, clothe them. Then as you do this, the light will break forth like dawn. You will call on the Lord, and He will answer. Your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like noonday. And God will guide you always as He satisfies your needs. It says God will always guide you. God's kind of saying here that if you'll just be outward focused, if you'll just be kind of other-centered, if you will love those that I love, that the lights will actually come on. That's when healing takes place. That's when your life will take on a whole new meaning. That's when you'll reach a level of intimacy with God that is at another level. You know, one of the things that I love to do is to participate with and to watch people experience serving opportunities. When they kind of have to get out of their comfort zone just a little bit, but they have to serve other people. Maybe it's in a, on a mission trip, or maybe it's uh, in some local outreach that we do. Because when people do that, when they begin to serve, when they think outside of themselves, all of a sudden they come absolutely alive. My buddy Jack uh, was a crazy guy before he came to Christ. I mean, anything and everything, he did it. And he wasn't a very politically correct person either. He was a racist, sexist, biased bigot. That was Jack. He owned his own trucking company, and any stereotype you have about a trucker, he owned that. He loved that. And he spent most of his time just kind of in self-absorption. He'd gone through a really, really painful divorce when I had first met him, and then his two kids wanted absolutely nothing to do with him. But all of a sudden, God came down into his life, and it changed him. God changed his life. And it was amazing to me. He actually got back with his ex-wife, reconciled the differences, and they got remarried. And the two kids came back into their world. And I'll never forget back in 1998, taking him to Tijuana, Mexico for the first time. And uh, he used to hate Mexicans. It was all I could do sometimes to hear some of the racist remarks that he would say. It just rubbed me such the wrong way. And now all of a sudden, he's in Tijuana, Mexico, and he is serving them. And on that trip, it was just like he came alive. The little kids just loved Jack. They would jump up on him and and play on his lap, and he'd get on his knees, and he would act like he was a donkey or a horse, or I'd say something else, but they, yeah, they did. They acted different things, because that's who he was. And um, I remember when we were getting ready to go home, That before we left Tijuana, he opened up his suitcase and he literally gave everything away. He even took the shoes off of his own feet and he gave them away. He got on the airplane with flip-flops. You can't do that now, but I mean, back in 98, you could. And we got on the plane and we're flying back to Indiana. And I remember him saying, I never thought God could use me for something like this. You know, something happens, folks, when we give 
ourselves away. God says, if you'll do that, that the lights will break forth. Healing will come to you. And when you empty yourself of yourself, I'll fill you with something that's even greater. And when we empty ourselves, folks, that's when real life happens. This morning, I want you to hear from three people who have kind of emptied themselves to be able to unleash care and compassion uh, into our broken world. And if you would, uh, please join me in welcoming Eric Gillette and uh, Stephanie Lewis and Mitch Hansen. Can everybody see over there? Okay. I'm always a little concerned. Well, um, guys, welcome. Uh, We're glad that you're here to kind of share our message. One day we'll have a little bit bigger stage and it'll not be as big a deal, but today this is the way it is. Um, And uh, what I wanted to do was to kind of have you guys uh, share a little bit about what you've done to kind of unleash care and compassion uh, into our world. Um, All three of these people uh, create opportunities for each of us to be involved and to partner uh, in uh, some different ways. And so uh, Eric Gillette, who's kind of in the middle, the oldest and wisest of the panel, um, he kind of oversees our... Uh, monthly surf fest that we do on the second Saturday and some of our local outward focused uh, kind of things. And so I just wondered, Eric, if you would kind of share with us a little bit about surf fest and uh, how we demonstrate uh, God's love uh, in the midst of that. That doesn't sound like the first question you had on the list, but we'll go from there. Um, surf hey, fest. who's doing this interview, me or oh, you? Okay. okay. No. <laughs> Uh, Surfest has been up and running uh, for about two years, and when we originally started, we did kind of hit and miss things. We uh, handed out cokes on curbside newspapers. We went to low-income housing and handed out light bulbs um, and, and various other things. And uh, we finally decided that's probably not the way to do it, and that what we wanted to do was focus on a couple areas and go back repetitively, uh, so we could possibly meet people uh, not just once but over and over, and that way they would know that we were really interested in them, not just handing something out and then going on our way and not caring what happened to them. So right now we're focusing on two things. One is the uh, main bus terminal downtown um, where we go uh, probably – between two and four people go down there. And what we originally started doing was just handing out uh, uh, coffee and donuts. And uh, we come to the conclusion that five-year-olds can't have a cup of coffee. So uh, just recently we've started adding. Uh, they can, but it stunts their growth. I've well, heard, so. you know what I mean. 
so what we've kind of refined it as we go along, we also hand out the daily newspaper because uh, some people just want to sit there and read while they're waiting for the bus. Uh, we also uh, provide Cokes for people who want to get a sugar high. Uh, we also have uh, uh, juice packs for the kids now, uh, and, and that really goes well. And then actually we have water for people who want to be, stay healthy. Um, so what we've been trying to do is uh, I went down and timed when the buses came in. So what we try to do is go and uh, hit one. Uh, the buses come in like every half hour, and they'll come in like eight or ten at a time. So we try to go down where we'll catch two of those uh, in an hour's time so we're not there forever. And uh, that works really well. Bunches of people come in, um, and we try to approach them as they come in. And uh, just and I think you got a story, don't you, Eric, of uh, oh, someone who trying to rush me along. Okay, try to to do. Okay, that. at one point, um, a couple months ago, a young woman came in, and um, she came over and took coffee and donut, and then she came over and started talking to me, and really, uh, she was really in dis- distress, and I didn't really have to say much. She just poured it all out and just said she was in a really low point in her life, and. She was crying for most of the time, and I just tried to offer her encouragement. Uh, and, you know, she was familiar with Christ, and um, you know, I just offered her that, that that would be a solution and that the jar is a place that she could come to. Um, you know, her bus came, and uh, she just thanked us and went on her way. Um, so I figured, well, that was that. But a month later, uh, one of the other people was down there, and she came back in, and although she didn't have much time, she was catching the bus and, and just running through, she came over and uh, thanked that person and said, I mean, it was just, I'm so thankful you guys were there at that particular time. It just, it was just wonderful that someone would just listen to me and comfort me, and uh, she'll remember that forever. So that's just one instance. Just, there were some other things uh, that, that have occurred, but that was one of them. And I think there was one other kind of main outreach that we've been trying to focus in on. Sure. The other thing we're doing is we're going down to the Muncie Mall uh, at the same time. Uh, someone's at the bus station. And what we do is buy a couple hundred Blondie cookies that the, the stores located in the mall, so they benefit from it. And what we do is we go around to all the employees and just offer them a cookie. And a lot of times they'll say, why? And we'll say, well, just trying to show God's love in a practical way. Um, and this has actually touched people's hearts. We have a, a, a family that was curious enough to come to the JAR, and now they're part of the JAR community. And the other thing I found was it, it sounds kind of superficial that, you know, handing a cookie out to people trying to show God's love, but you'd be surprised at how many people take that to heart and say, and it's nice to be appreciated when we're working because it doesn't happen very often. So, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So a couple different ways then with Surfest that you can work with, both at the bus station uh, on that second Saturday and then also uh, at the mall. Uh, Eric, I know on February uh, 9th is the next time we're going to have Surfest. And so if a person wanted to be a part of that, um, how would they go about kind of doing that? Well, it's relatively simple. Uh, just come here. Uh, 10.30, we meet. Um, we'll have a short prayer and then we'll divide up into two groups, again, two to four people going down to the bus station, and then the bulk of the rest of the, everybody going down to the mall. Uh, and what we try to do is have uh, people that come with their 
kids go to the mall because we found that the employees really like when the kids come up and hand them a cookie. It just it goes over really well. Plus, you don't have to take them out in the cold, which my two daughters really enjoy. So um, that's one. Now, Eric, I know there are some other local groups that we kind of connect with, um, and I just wondered if you can talk about those a little bit. Uh, yeah, I can. Um, okay, there are several other things that we've actually done. Um, one you're probably familiar with is Salvation Army, where we do uh, we did bell ringing this year. We did the stockings. Uh, we've done some construction projects with them. Um, it's kind of an ongoing thing. Uh, the Indiana Blood Center again. They they come here twice a year, and uh, we had a really successful drive in in uh, December or in. Yeah, December, we had uh, 23 people, uh, so that's 69 units of blood that were uh, given. Uh, so they were really happy with us. Um, Habitat for Humanity, typically we'll try to uh, sign up with a church build uh, once a year. And uh, usually that's just one weekend uh, or, or Saturday. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. You don't have to have any skills. You just come and they tell you what to do. Muncie Mission, we have people uh, involved, uh, several people that like to go down and cook for the men, and then other people go and they'll serve. Um, and then the last one is rebuilding Delaware County, uh, where we've uh, helped build probably about eight or nine wheelchair ramps uh, and some other minor repairs. It's kind of a guy thing, um, but still. Uh, they set it all up, don't have any skills. Not all guys like me, because I know absolutely nothing, but most guys. Uh, we understand, yeah, Chris. <laughs> and uh, I know there's one uh, kind of new outreach that we've kind of worked on and someone we partnered with, and thought you might share about that a little. Well, there's a small church down in the corner of Hoyt and right near 12th Street near the old Ross uh, supermarket. It's called Morning, Morning Star Church, and they have an outreach. Uh, what was it? What's the name of it? Uh, Morning, Morning Star Breadbasket Outreach, where they serve every Saturday between 80 and 150 people, families that come in that live locally. Um, and then uh, what we've been doing, we, we've already done it once last year, I think, for uh, uh, like a two-month period where we went in every Saturday, three or four people from the church would actually go and do the serving. There's another church that comes and does the cooking, but then we go and serve and then mingle with the men and the women and the families that are there. And then the last thing they do is when they leave, they give them a, a sack meal to take home uh, for later in the day. Uh, so what we're going to do this year in May and October, I think I got that right, Lauren, yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing the same thing. So there'll be eight weekends where we'll be looking for people to come and help in that uh, and that little church, and just get to know people and just uh, show God's love in a, in a practical way. Okay, great. Hey, thanks, Eric, for that. Uh, Eric's kind of our local person that helps with outreach experiences. Mitch kind of does more of our global uh, mission kind of things. Uh, he's our mission team leader. There's a team of people uh, that work together to do that, but you've kind of been the point person. And so I just wondered, Mitch, if you could share – uh, a little bit about what we do stateside or kind of nationally that we've been uh, working with and done. Sure. <clears throat> the uh, missions team's goal is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a broken world, and we try to do that in a practical way. Um, 
when Hurricane Katrina hit, we sent teams down. In fact, I think you got your feet wet there a couple times uh, trying to help out. Um, even when the cameras had left, et cetera, we still sent teams down to help, to rebuild, to uh, give people comfort. And then in 2011, when a Category 4 hurricane or a tornado hit Joplin, Missouri, we sent teams down, um, 20 people down in August and 10 people down in December of 2011 to try and uh, help and give people relief. Um, a story that hit me was there was this family that um, was in their home and uh, the sirens went off and so they got into their crawl space. They didn't have a basement. And uh, their neighbors went into their um, bathroom and <clears throat> the hurricane hit and the family was just terrified. When they got out, the house was completely demolished, but they were safe in the crawl space. But um, their neighbors, they went over to see how they were, and um, the mother had um, some debris that went through her lungs, and um, she was still in the hospital when we there, were there in August. But um, the people who did survive were just so grateful and had stories of how God was there to help them and were with them, and they just... They literally lost everything, but they still had God, and they knew that they had something valuable and important. And it was just so great to help them and serve them and to see that joy of the Lord in their eyes and to be able to be there with them at their lowest point in their life and to be able to show God's love when they needed it the most. And then another group that we partner with is a Riverside Christian Church down in Jackson, Kentucky. And it's in the Appalachian Mountains, very impoverished area. A lot of people do meth and manufacture meth just as a way to survive and get through. Um, and uh, Riverside is kind of a beacon of hope there in the community. Um, people are able to send their church, children there to get a good education, to learn good values. And, and we help out with um, education, construction, and ministry uh, things in that area. So a few pl places nationally, statewide. What about globally? What What's some of the things that we're doing? Well, Captain Romance here took his wife to Kenya uh, <laughs> during their anniversary. That wasn't your 20-year, was it, man? Uh, no, it was an 18-year okay, anniversary. That's good. Hey, honey, let's go to Kenya. So that was it. <laughs> um, we do have a partnership in Kenya. It's uh, very nice. It's uh, Mahale Palmeisha. Uh, it stands for A Place for Life. Um, the Bells run the um, orphanage there. They, what they do is they rescue infant children that um, have been abandoned. These children are left in trash heaps in uh, outhouses. Uh, they're left alongside the road, and um, the bells collect them up, uh, clean them up, get them medical care, get them nutrition, and, and uh, help bring them back to life. Um, Chris and Jen were there for several weeks, right? Two weeks? Two weeks. And um, just loved on them, cared for them, and... Um, uh, Jen gave the medical attention. I think I heard Chris have the kids pull his finger. I don't remember. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> I, I didn't do much medical work. So. <laughs> there are two million orphans in Kenya because of the uh, AIDS uh, pandemic, and um, they're just they have nowhere. They have no family, no no place to live, um, nowhere to be fed, and um, the bells are out there doing what they can. It costs about five hundred dollars to save a child's life. And um, last year, the uh, JAR raised $4,000 and saved eight orphans' lives, and uh, we're very excited about that, and we'll continue to work in those areas. And then we also go to uh, Tijuana, Mexico. Um, we try to go twice a year, 
to uh, send medical teams down, construction teams, ministry teams. Um, Tijuana is a place that I've been to for years and years. It's just wonderful to see the progress that um, people make as they uh, hear God's word and start to uh, practice God's works. And um, nothing against Derek, but uh, the people in Mexico can worship now. <laughs> they rock. And uh, to be a part of that is amazing. Um, I went down with a medical team one time, and uh, there was a guy named Paco who his whole face was swollen to about twice its size. Um, he had an abscessed tooth that had just become so infected that it, it was swelled incredibly. He walked 10 miles to try and find the medical team. He went to the wrong neighborhood. Fortunately, somebody took him to the um, church where they were ministering at. And uh, somebody before he left on this walk told him, you have to find Jesus. You have to find Jesus. So he just kept walking and walking, telling himself, I've got to find Jesus. And he went into the clinic, and, and Dr. Wilson, thank God, took care of him, got rid of the infection. He literally would have died within a week um, if they hadn't taken care of him. And after she cleaned him up and got him all taken care of, um, they were having this movie at the church about Jesus, and he's like, I have to meet Jesus. And he went and saw that movie, and um, it just changed his life and and. God was there to <clears throat> save his life and to save his soul, and uh, it's just wonderful to be a part of something like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I know that there'll be trips that are coming up, and just uh, how people could get connected and involved within yep. that. We're planning another trip to Tijuana, Mexico in June of this year, so um, we'll have more details in February, but uh, please plan to sign up. and. Um, uh, think about that. Uh, pray about that. I just tell people to step out on faith of God's calling you, moving you to do that. Um, he will open the door and provide the means for you to do that. Um, and then Riverside Church or uh, uh, Christian School, we plan on going down there in July and also maybe in the fall. So um, if you're feeling a prompting for that, please sign up the next month as well. And then we do trying to do fundraisers throughout the year. We have a Soda Pop Sunday every quarter. Um, it's just Whatever money you would spend on a soda pop that week, just please put it into the offering and um, help raise money for the children in Kenya. Um, we did $4,000 last year. Hopefully we can do more this year and save more lives. And then um, if you want to participate in fundraisers for missions trips, just get a hold of the um, church office, and they will get you in touch with me and the missions team, and we can get you plugged in. Okay, sounds good. And uh, last but not least, the best looking of the panel uh, Thank you. <laughs> Stephanie Lewis, uh, who's our interim uh, children's and family ministry uh, person. I know that for you, uh, over this past year, the children's and family ministry team has been uh, really had their eyes open of how they could uh, maybe partner with a, a local elementary school. And so can you just kind of briefly uh, share with us what's happened and, and what where we're going with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, last year, as our creative team was meeting for Jar Kids, we really felt a leading to partner with a local school here in Muncie. So through a lot of prayer and connections, we uh, decided on Southview. Um, 93% of all the children in Southview are on free or reduced lunch, which means they're living right at the poverty line. So we felt that was a great opportunity to reach out in a very practical way to these kids and their families. Um, last month we did a teacher lunch. We uh, decided to go big or go home, so we brought in a hot meal from Fazoli's to serve them. About 30 teachers and staff came in to get some food, 
and they were all very grateful for us bringing in lunch. Like, I think for teachers, whenever they don't have to pack their lunch or eat the cafeteria food, they're happy. <laughs> um, so actually, a really cool story. A teacher came in to get some lunch for the lunch ladies because they couldn't leave their post. Uh, Jennifer Welch actually helped her carry the lunches to these ladies, and she just asked Jennifer, you know, why did you pick us? Like, out of all the schools in Muncie, like, why did you choose us? And uh, we've had a partnership with them, like, in the past for, like, Christmas baskets and stuff, and we, she told them, like, we really just wanted to continue helping them and supporting them in any way we could, so we're uh, really excited about helping these staff members and the kids out with that. We're, actually, we're doing a bowling party next month as well on the 16th, and we're planning to invite all of the kindergartners, the first graders, and the second graders, and their families to this as well, so the kids can come and have a free bowling night. We can get to know them a little bit better, connect with them a little bit better, and just get them involved with stuff that's going on around Muncie. Okay, and I know another thing that we're doing is we're we started a mentoring program with some of those kids. So if uh, any of them uh, wanted to do that, you could. uh, And it just takes about an hour. um, But that's another way that we uh, connect with Southview. Well, if you would, please um, give a hand to our three uh, panelists here and the way that they serve. Now, if you're interested in any of those three areas, you can go on to the JAR website, and uh, we actually have uh, a way in which you can sign up right there uh, for any of these three areas, and someone will follow up with you. And then also, um, if you are not a website person, you can just go to the resource table, and uh, you can sign up uh, over there uh, as well. And I think the web is web address is up there. Now, folks, this is how I want us to close out. We may not change everything in the world, but we really can make a difference. And if you want to know how to make that difference, you can go to the website there and and check on that. But we want to make a difference, and my heart's desire is that my heart would get bigger, that I would grow more, and that there would be more compassion and care unleashed out of my life into other people. And my hope and prayer for each one of you is that one of these areas, you'll say, you know what, I'm going to step up this year and really try to uh, allow my heart to grow and uh, to be used to unleash compassion in one of these ways. Because I think the more that we do that, we really do learn to love like Jesus. And we don't just pretend to love, but we really love. So let's stand for closing prayer. I invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer afterwards for anything, uh, you can come on up. So if our prayer team would come up, let's pray. Loving and compassionate God, thank you so much for allowing us to partner with you to restore this broken world. We are so honored, God, that you would choose to use us. Help us to be the type of people that go into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our world 
and show your heart of compassion. Help us as a church to know how to serve our community and our world so that your name would be made great. God, I know that each time that I speak up here that there are folks who hear things about wanting to reach out and to care for broken people, but they themselves feel very broken right now. And so I ask God right now that you would send your healing through the power of your Holy Spirit so that they can pass that healing on as they receive it from you. Help us, God, to make a difference in your world so that uh, lives may be changed truly for eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if this is your first time, please check out the Guest Connections table. And uh, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.